Good morning. This is the Wisdom Seekers class, and I'm Stacy Maston. We're going to be talking about Hebrews 12 today. Um, sorry about. For some reason, my legs just feel too long, and I can't curl them up under this bench, so they're kind of sticking out. That probably shouldn't have been said over the air, but now you know what it looks like up here. So there you go. Okay, so interestingly, when Tricia was speaking a few weeks ago on Hebrews 11, I happened to be reading Hebrews at the time, and that night I actually read Hebrews 11. That's where I was in my, you know, I read a chapter every night just before I go to bed, and, and so that's where I was, and it was really interesting to recap kind of what she had taught that morning and the things we discussed. And then the next day, I read Hebrews 12, and it really uh, impacted me. So much so, I, you know, usually just read this right before I go to bed, so I don't spend but more than 15 minutes maybe looking things up and just doing a cursory, you know, short study, as it were. I was there for an hour looking up all these words as I went down this chapter, because as you'll see, there's just so much meat in this one chapter. And so... Um, Mark, are you lost? <laughs> Mine's next. But anyway, so um, as I went through that, there were many things that I knew I had to look into further, so I did. I, um, the next day, I spent quite a bit of time making this sheet up. This was like three weeks ago. And the Lord had me read this chapter every night in the month of June. Um, I didn't go through my sheet. I was just reading it on my phone and recalling the things, what things meant. And the Lord was using it really to speak to me um, last month. And um, there were things that I did cursory studies from from this study. Um, and then pastor spoke on Hebrews, and I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't focus on this. But this was the thing that just kept coming back to me even this week. So I thought um, I tried to, um, you know, bring up some other studies that might be something to teach today. Again, this is what the Lord gave me. So um, I now, I, I looked this up. I put this in a five-fold manner, and I thought I've got 11 minutes on, on each I don't know if I can do it. Well, Father, bring that kid home safe and sound. So let's just begin in Hebrews 12, 1, where I have marked this beginning section as the pastor office. Um, I felt like as... I was putting this fivefold together that some things were definitely interchangeable and you certainly may have another take on the way that you might delineate these sections but I felt like this beginning was setting the stage the atmosphere it was what's going on um, as the writer of the Hebrews is um, exhorting us in this way um, I really, I think the things that really, just to give you a kind of a, a snapshot of what I was thinking, you know, we go through periods where we're really um, heightened 
sensitively to the spirit and you know we're doing a lot of focus and then you have periods where you don't feel like you're as sensitive or you're not able to glean as much or you you know whatever you want to call it and so when I read this chapter it was a reminder of what's happening in the spirit realm for me every day these are the things we need to be uh, aware of and keep at the forefront of our minds as we endeavor to partner in the spirit these are things that relate to us because it's about our kami which is the thing that we are being called to do um, so let's set the stage just saying that in verse one seeing that we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses lay us, let us lay aside every weight and sin that does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us so this is the foundation we're compassed about in this peri kami it's what surrounds our righteous placement it has to do with our identity and our personal assignment I want to read the definition of kami because this is about you and your kami it means to lie outstretched or to be positioned for a cause it is the commissioning or ordained planting of a leader or friend of God in a location or the position of strategic placement itself so just stopping there like if you think that what happened with our church praying at the courthouse was you know happenstance if you don't believe that had that was a KMI um, assignment then you're totally askew with what's going on in your life okay that was a strategic placement for our body what God called us to do so we have to view the things that we're asked to do in this fashion give it this weight it stems from the Greek word to the throne of God is the ultimate point of placement and all other things revolve around this seat of authority and the outline of the earth is determined by what has been dictated from the throne of God and his temple in heaven these lines of structure and operation are eternal in nature and function the world system of wickedness is currently in control of most of the Kami alignment but we are called to redeem these root places of foundational identity of the Kami. So that is our setting. So we must lay aside, that's apotitheme. We must remove the things from ourselves that prevents us from fulfilling this calling. We have the responsibility to put these things away from us from what God has tithed or tithemied into us, it must be separate from that. <clears throat> and what are the things we need to lay aside? What are the two things that it mentions? A weight. I remember so many years ago when Pastor spoke on this because he gave us the example of coming home from the grocery store and our arms being filled with what? The groceries in both arms and we can't even open the door. We can't get through the door because our arms are so full of things. Well, that is the, the visual picture that stuck with me all these years when you think about a weight that is going to keep you external things. Um, you've got to keep your hands free to partner. They can't be full of other things. And then the sin, those things that cause you to miss the mark. 
we are in this process always before our Father of refining and pruning and, and um, you know, being changed so that the sin is not, you know, causing us to miss the mark. We're not missing the mark. Because these things are in the histeme. It's besetting us. It's skillfully surrounding the histeme. These are the things that come against us in our histeme. And they're there. They're there always. These weights, distractions, these things that can cause us to miss the mark. And so we have to run this race, which from the definition, it requires the exertion of all your effort to overcome. And then we must run this race with patience. This is something that I believe that God has spent years honing within us because it is such um, a crucial factor in overcoming. If you can't wait, if you can't endure, if you can't persevere, if you will not accept what God is doing in your life without you know, acting out or vying or striving or trying to change or um, you know, overcome your circumstance other than from a point of humility and submission to what he's doing, then you're going to miss the mark. Patience is one of the most foundational issues of staying within the will of God. And then, of course, we know that race is our conflict. It's the contest. And it is on the world stage. It's the, in the spirit realm. It's an arena. It is something that we're not the only ones watching what's happening. We have people, I say people, we have you know, the enemy um, and the angelic watching. But let's hearken back to our definition of the kami. It's set before us. So it's pro-kami. We're looking toward the objective and the things that God is wanting to accomplish. So let's move on to the second um, leg of this pastoral setting. What are we needing to do while we're in this position of looking toward our objective? We're also going to be at Poreo. We're going to be looking unto Jesus. And I really, I'll be honest with you, we have studied passages from this chapter for years. I mean, when you read every one of these, these you can almost quote these verses. We've looked at them so often. But I will tell you, this looking unto Jesus, I don't look unto Jesus. I look unto the Father. And Jesus is there. <laughs> Jesus, I... You know, it's funny because at the beginning of this year, the Lord told me this is the year of the Lord, and I really didn't know what that meant when I got that word in the beginning, but he's really revealed to me that he's wanting to make Jesus more real to me, relationally or as a point of leadership or however I'm supposed to follow him, because if he is the Lord of hosts, if he's the one who's in charge of the end-time army, and I'm a part of that <laughs> army, but I've never actually followed him, I mean... I want to know him and how he's going to move. And he has, the Father, the Lord, the Holy Spirit has been teaching me and directing me. So that when I saw this, I knew that the Father was speaking to me about my positioning here in the Prokemi, looking unto Jesus. This word looking is aporeo. And it actually means 
Because the horeo is to discern clearly, to see with the eyes, to see with the mind, to perceive. But the aporeo actually means you have to turn your attention from something else so that you can do that. So it does, it, it gives, it lends itself to the, the thought that, you know, we're distracted. We can be distracted while we're on this walk, while we're in our prokemi. Um, and so, and we're not in the prokemi. The prokemi is the objective, the thing that we're to, to do. But that's where, that's where we're going to reclaim these places that the enemy um, is controlling. So we have to look unto Jesus. We have to turn away and to put our eyes upon what he's doing. He is the author, the arch echo. That's the arche from the beginning. So that, that really defines him as our chief leader, the prince, the son of the king. It means to champion a kingdom objective. But I love this echo part. It means to lead by accompanying to a place. So he is with us every step of the way in what we are doing. I really loved that defining because I don't think of him that way. Now, you may be a Jesus freak. That may be your point of communication. You know, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not trying to say who's better. I'm just saying when I pray and when I'm communing, I'm thinking mainly of the Father. There are, there have been over the year, many years, many times when I knew that I was communing with Jesus or he was doing something or leading me in something, but those times were, you know, 5%, 10%. And then you have the Holy Spirit, same thing. I'm telling you, for me, my commune is, is from my perspective with the Father. So this is showing me something. It may not be teaching you anything, but it certainly spoke to me. And the finisher is this word, teleotis, which we learned in the last year or two as being um, you know, the word telephone, telecommunications, that word is for to communicate with God, the development of partnering with him through commune and reception of the divine new. With God, it is a building process of relationship with him and partnering according to the eternal plan. Therefore, the word implies evolving and maturing in stages to become a trusted son. So Jesus is also, we know that he's interceding for us, and that's part of that responsibility. He is overseeing this teleotis development in order to bring us to that point of completion. And so he is the author and finisher of what happens with us at the right hand. So it says that he, for the joy that was prokamide before him, he saw what his responsibility and commissioning was going to be, and he knew what was coming. He was obedient to what was set before him, and he endured it all. I do think that there are going to be things that the Father allows us to know that we are going to have to do or endure, and we're going to have to act obediently on behalf of that knowledge and not shy away from it, not turn back or not 
you know, lose our hope or be discouraged or afraid. Because Jesus knew where he was going. The cross was before him, and he saw it as a joy, what the result of that sacrifice was going to mean for all of us. And that has to also be our mindset, that whatever we endure, whatever is coming before us, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to partner in order to see these things come to pass according to his plan, bringing others in to a point of sonship. But this right here, the despising, the shame, I, I was just really, um, I really loved the definition of this word based on the most recent teachings on the phroneo, because we recognize that the phroneo is the assessment you make based on the commune with the spirit. And it is the only way that you come about this perspective. It's the only way that your um, assessment is going to be correct is if you are with the spirit. And so Jesus, he was willing to be viewed with disrespect and without honor. He was willing to be viewed as nothing. He accepted that. He was not offended. And so, if, but if we're not praying, we're not going to understand what's going on or why it's going on. And we won't be able to withstand the opposition that we're facing. So this phroneo I bring up again as a reminder of how we gain the proper perspective to go forward. So let's move on to, I could, you know, the definitions are there. I'm not going to go over every single definition, um, but they're there for you. And then I love verse 3, consider him. So now we were looking unto Jesus, but now we're going to consider Jesus. We're going to consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest we be wearied and faint in our minds. So... We had to keep him continually before us. That analogizomai um, comes from analogia. It means to think about over and over, to occupy your mind with the things that you know Jesus represents, how he um, patterned um, the sonship lifestyle, how all the things, his logos, because he is the word, all the things that pertain to Jesus, we keep that in our mind so that we don't become wearied, so that we don't faint. We are his brethren. Therefore, what he has suffered, we will surely suffer. And we come to this point of um, the patience, the enduring, the hupomeno. Again. We have to have patience, and Jesus had patience. He had patience against those who were standing against the Logos, the Antilogia, those who opposed the Logos and were missing the mark. So let's just, let's frame this knowing that whatever he endured, we are going to have to endure. We have up to this point, I think, experienced some of that, particularly in the beginning, as, as, you know, fresh rhema, logos, the word was being expounded to us in means of revelation. 
We had many who opposed that. They were against the release of the logos in this house. They did not accept the logos in this house. But we have to recognize that through that opposition, we can become weary and sick in our minds. But the word mind here is not, you know, noose or even phroneo. It's the suke. It's actually in our soul. So it's our emotional, our emotional state. And that word faint means to relax or loosen or set free. It means that you're just kind of, you're not committed to something. You're just willy-nilly. You're not, you're not um, functioning, as it were. Um, our soul and our emotional state is just all over the place. But that was the longest section, so. You did good. Telling you what, like I'm a speed racer. <laughs> okay, so the teacher seer. We come into this next part, and I feel like, you know, the other had to do with some out, outward opposition, and this next section really speaks about. Um, and I think we confuse that sometimes with the Father's dealings with us in chastisement. I mean, I think we rebuke things that happen to us or negative things that we encounter, and we always just blame it on the enemy when sometimes it's just the Father that is dealing with us and really trying to, you know, like a bumper car, trying to get us back in alignment to where we're supposed to go. But let's look at verse 4. It says, You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And this basically just means that, like Jesus, you know, he shed blood to deal with sin. But we have not shed any blood in our war against sin. So this is our exhortation right here. He's saying, you haven't shed any blood in your war against sin. Nothing's happened to you in that way. Verse 5 says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as unto Huios. Remember our teaching on that just recently as Pastor was um, delineating the different um, children, you know, those who are being trained, and you have huos and you have heirs and joint heirs. This is something that he touched on, um, being a son, someone who has respected, respected, someone who has accepted the responsibility and is functioning as a son. So this or exhortation is speaking and that word speak is dialegomai. It's a line upon line setting forth of the logos to the sons, okay? Um, you've forgotten what I've called you alongside to do in re with regard to this. And I think he's saying that because he's saying, you're really getting these things mixed up in your mind. Why would he say you've forgotten it? Because if they understood it, he wouldn't have to re-exhort on this point. So I think that they're, again, getting these things confused regarding, you know, the opposition to the things that we encounter in our walk um, in overcoming. And then you have the, <laughs> the challenges that come with the Father trying to train us, that instruction. I mean, think about it when you were a kid. It was awful <laughs> getting in trouble. I mean, was there any worse feeling? I mean, I would be sick to my stomach. Go and sit on the bed. I was not mean. I never said you were mean. 
Just the thought of being in trouble that way was a horrible feeling. Well, if our father chastises us like that, I mean, he is the better father. But sometimes it still feels that same way. You're just like, oh, I hate that I'm this way. I hate that I felt better. I hate that I did that or whatever. So let's move on into this, okay? I'm getting ahead of myself. He said, my huyos, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. Despise not is a familiar term, a familiar term, um, allegoreo, and it means really to not diminish the value of the process that is going to bring you into a point of, um, you know, fulfillment to to make you a son. It's going to make you contrite in order to fulfill what God wants to do in you. We can't diminish the value of this process. And we can't faint, the same word as above. We can't become crazy, you know, all over the place, relax and loosen from the objective and the thing that God is trying to do. We can't try to separate ourselves from the process. And I do think, you know, as children 25 years ago, we may, you know, we kind of sometimes would try to get out of the things that he was, you know, had his pressure cooking in. You know, how can I get out of this hot fire? Um, and then there were times I know for personally, you know, I just wasn't going to listen. I mean, I knew things were, he, you know, he was addressing things, and I was just like, you know, not wanting to deal with that. And, you know, he's very loving, and he's very patient and long-suffering, and um, he, he would wait on me. And then when it was, you know, the time to deal with it, we, we certainly did deal with it. But let's look further about fainting because of the rebuke. The rebuke is going to be admonished regarding a fault, something you have erred in, or something that your mindset, anything that is not aligning itself with his heart, which is always constant. See, he is not changing. We are the ones that have to change to align with that. And that heart is that is being revealed to us is ever moving. It's a constant cycle of change. So, you know, 25 years ago, I'm not dealing with that anymore, but I may be dealing with an issue, that same issue from another perspective. See, because he's not here to, I mean, if he showed me everything, I'd probably die an instant death. If he showed me the wickedness of my heart and all the things that were going on there. No, he lovingly takes you step by step and line upon line through the things that need to be addressed at the time that they do need to be addressed so that you can move forward. And of course, his timing is perfect. But we cannot faint or try to detach ourselves from the moment or the rebuke or the change that he is requiring. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. And we know that the chastening is an instruction and in training. It's the discipline that he exacts with us and upon us. And it does define it as a single blow at times. I'm sure that every instance is going to be different. But when I think about things that happen in my life at times when I needed that instruction, it did feel like a blow. You know, of course, he's not socking me around, but you know what I'm saying. It's painful. 
And then the scourging, I think Pastor touched on this, you know, on Father's Day, but you think about the Old Testament. I think that that was a fine example of a father trying to instruct and train sons, yet it usually just ended up with a flogging. I mean, because it says, you know, a misfortune or a calamity that's sent by God to discipline or to punish. I mean, he gave them and instructed them in the righteous path and the things they should do. And he also told them what would happen, the curse that would come upon them, if they didn't do it and they began to serve and worship idols and, and whatnot. And they just continually fell in that regard. They never moved into the point of wanting to have this sonship relationship with God. And so you do see the scourging, uh, you know, in the Bible. I, I can see it. And I feel like if any of us really moved into any kind of error, we might find this type of response. I don't think that we are like the children of Israel in the respect of, you know, we're worshiping idols, we're going down that, you know, complete apostasy pathway. We are continually in agape, breathing hard after his purpose. Yes, we are failing. Yes, we fall short. Yes, we need to be changed. Yes, all these things are a part of the walk that we have as a son. But that's completely different from someone who's stepping aside, who's falling away. And I do wonder about sometimes those who have walked away, what have they encountered as a result of that, you know, turning away from their purpose or from God completely. But look at this. It says, if you endure chastening, and I, I really love this, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son, Huyos, is he whom the father chastens not? That word deals means it's, it's um, prospero, and it means to bring you where you're supposed to be. If you will stay under the hand of God, if you will remain and abide, he is going to to get you where you're supposed to be. He's going to bring you through the entire process. And to me, that word pro, you know, I always think of it as look going forward. It's that um, prefix that means to go forward. So he's going to bring you forward. He's taking you where you're supposed to go. He's dealing with you as a son. And then the next um, verse 8 it says, because if, but if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. That word partaker, there are several words that are um, translated as a partaker in the New Testament. You have uh, many words that are derivatives of the koinonia that are a partaker. And that means to share into something, to have that fellowship and that exchange with the Father. And there's a couple of other ones too, but this one, metokos, which comes from met echo, actually does define a partnership. Someone who is um, doing, uh, you're a partner like in a work. And what is the work that is happening here? The chastisement. So what does that mean? It means you have to be in agreement 
with the chastisement that you're undergoing. You can't strive against it. You can't fight against it. You are a partner in your own development. I really loved that. But the, the root word, if we remember you know, about the echo, the met echo, it means to pattern what is spoken. When God says something, we become that. We become a partaker of what God has released to us. And so I really loved that. And I almost actually did a study and taught you guys on that Metokos. Um, I did the study on that. But again, um, looking on to uh, verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. Um, they, it's using the same word for chastisement. It's a derivative. And we gave them reference. We respected them. And also at times, you know, or, or at times, I don't know actually what it's saying there, but it says, you know, that we turned back. Maybe it means that we, he we heeded um, their correction. But we respected them. But should we rather not be much more be in subjection to the Father of Spirits and live? And that word subjection is hubotasso. You should be familiar with that. We're talking about placement, how the Father has arranged you and what your positioning is, your placement, and how you actually represent what God has asked you to do in your terium. When we are partnering with him within this process of training and instruction, we are in a particular place, and this is how we're going to live. We are in subjection to him. We are staying under the authority that's been put, placed over us. We're being um, faithful to the thing we've been asked to do. And that is part of this father-son instructional sequence. Stacy, that's pretty cool when you think about his, his perfect motivation is agape. But the outcome of it is give you life and everything in between is going to lead to life or I guess the other side of that coin could be to, to stunt the growth process in the midst of all that and that's what we can all do if we're not careful uh, this talk that's interesting it starts with love and ends with life well and, and two you think about it just in considering your own walk with the Lord each one of us can do this, and we can see how when we endured a process, it led to life. It led to overcoming. It, it led to, you know, the grace that was um, making these things possible. And you feel the, the weight lifted, as it were, when the grace is operational in this. And life is always the result. I mean, you can look back something you've been through, and you just think, I am experiencing the blessing of having walked through this with the Lord. I, this is what I've learned. This is what I can at least see in myself that has been addressed. doesn't mean it's over. I'm just saying I can see the value of what he's done. And that is a life-breathing knowledge. And then um, let's see what the last part of this says in verse 10. For they our fathers on the earth, they for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, 
<laughs> that doesn't mean that they liked it. It means that they did what they thought was right. You know, they, just like all parents, they did what they thought was right, but the Father does it for our profit. And that is a, an, a, um, a word that is uh, a derivative of that, um, I can't find it, my, my eyes are not hitting on it, but soon Pharaoh, to bring together. So when I told you before that the, that the Father deals with you as sons, I think that was like pro-Pharaoh, I can't remember what it was. Um, it could be right there, pro-Pharaoh. Thank you, thank you eyeballs for that. Just two whole words up, okay? But the soon Pharaoh is to bring together. He's going to bring it all together. He's going to make it what it's supposed to be. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Here is one of the other words for partakers. Metalambano. So it's something that we receive. We receive this holiness, this saintly walk that we have been given because we've endured this process. I hadn't really thought of the fact that you actually can't be a saint until you've been a son. But that is, that's the way it is. You go through this process, and then you can be a partaker. You can receive this holiness. Now let's go on to verse 11. No chastening for the present seems to be joyous. <laughs> Did I hear an amen? But, amen and amen. Yeah, but grievous. <laughs> it is heavy. It's, it can be very sorrowful at times because you are there is a loss I mean we we're supposed to count it you know as gain but there is loss and we have experienced a lot of loss because we're letting go we're letting go of things that have been important to us we're letting go of things that we thought we needed we're letting go of things that you know made us really cool or that made us really good at something we're doing I mean we had to lay down things in order to um, embrace the new thing that God was doing within us and then some of those things came back but in another form I mean it wasn't like he took it away that we could never enjoy it but he wanted our perspective regarding whatever that was to change we couldn't have we couldn't have the same attachment we couldn't use it in the same manner I mean, the only way to use a new weapon is to learn a new way to use the weapon. And, you know, sometimes you just have to lay that thing down for him to instruct you in, in how you're going forward. And then he begins to show you that new way to use what he's giving you. But anyway, there's a loss. We, we grieve over those things sometimes. And sometimes it's, you know, the relationships. Sometimes, you know, if you have family that completely opposes what you're doing, sometimes you have to walk away from that scenario in order to survive and, and continue in your walk. I mean, there's all, all um, manner of ways that this um, can feel grievous. But what does it yield? And I'm just going to reword it. To me, it yields righteousness that is successful. It says a peaceable fruit of righteousness. So that righteous vision is going to be fulfilled if we will remain in this process with our Father. And I feel like this teacher-seer section kind of corrects our perceptions. It's always correcting how we're dealing with our situations. What is our perception regarding what we are facing and what we are feeling? It's how 
he's preparing us on how to view things as we go forward. And of course, this is an ongoing process in every season. Because I know we've, I mean, every, every seminar we have said how important that seminar is. We have never felt, well, this, this seminar is just gonna be eh, eh, or this seminar is really not, you know, I mean, it's just about this, it's not. We have never felt that. So with every season, we have had to be equipped and brought into a point of a fresh perspective in order to go forward. So that is, you know, and God was so good to give us, um, you know, our convening twice a year in order to keep us all on the same page. We're all being given the same spiritual meat and able to go forward based on what he has done. And you should see individually we've had to live for the six months, but then we come together and bring that agreement so that he can like establish that or finalize what that, you know, that partnership has been for six months. But I love that. So going to the next page. I've got three things left in 40 minutes. Stop looking good. Okay, so this next section I did, I marked it as the evangelist, but I kept going back and forth. It, it, to me, it could still, it could be the prophet as well. But again, these are just, you know, points of interest or for our thoughts. So verse 12. Okay, so pastor really spoke a lot about this. So hopefully I won't touch on it too much, but let's read it. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So I have inserted the definition that Pastor gave when he taught recently. Um, we have to align ourselves by lifting our hands. And I, and I really, I love the picture that that depicts because, you know, it really does tell you what the posture is. Yes, Pastor said it doesn't mean to literally lift up your hands. But I actually like that visual because where are your hands supposed to be? I mean, they really do need to be lifted. If you're in that point of surrender and praise, you know, you are really um, yielding yourself to how the Father wants to um, communicate with you and to lead you on. And your hands are not um, hanging down. They're not relaxed. You're not neglecting your partnership. Because that's what that means. It means that you're, you're not actively seeking the Father. You're abandoning that hand of purpose. And the feeble knees, speaking about grace, um, pastor talked about that. Then you have this next section, the next verse, verse 13, make straight paths. And I really like this because the straight path is actually, um, to me, it's kind of uh, connected with the word healed. Because healed is aiomai, it means to be whole, but it's a preventative, it's the proper use, it's the proper function. It's the way to stay healthy and strong. So if you make a straight path, if you stay on the path that has been uh, ordained for you to walk on, <clears throat> that which is lame, limping or crippled, de deprived of a foot, 
will not be turned out of the way. It's like when you get out of joint, you, you're, you really are limping. You have a dislocated limb. You're not functioning properly. And so I feel like making a straight path is, like Pastor said, a safeguard for us. And it is a lifestyle that keeps us from what we're going to look at next, in my opinion. But we know that we follow peace and holiness, which you both know what those words mean. You know, this is how we're going to have that ongoing relationship with the Lord. And it's going to be a right relationship. But we have to do these things leading into what comes next. Because to me, this is like, if we do these things, this has to be an antidote for failed grace. If you're willing to endure chastisement, which can be grievous, which can be hard to endure, and you are enduring it alone. I mean, you can't go through these things with anybody else. You may talk to a friend or someone that you, um, you know, feel comfortable discussing what you're going through with, but they still can't do it for you, and they can't overcome it for you. But when you do, you're, you're really in line to um, overcome in grace. So let's look at verse 15. This is an, an interesting term as well. Um, episcopeo, uh, I guess. Episcopeo. And it means to oversee. And it gives the definition of someone as being an overseer in a church. Someone who inspects, who's aware of and takes care for the atmosphere and the things that are, uh, that we have to do. So, so look at this, because I, wa I want you to see, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness bringing up trouble. Uh, there is no you that's in the Greek. And so if you look at this, this really is a more general oversight. You know, staying aware of what's going on around you. That anyone... It says, any man fail of the grace of God and a root of bitterness spring up in trouble. So springing, I mean, the trouble is to crowd or to annoy or bring a disturbance. And in times past, we had a lot of this springing up. <laughs> we had a, and everyone's dealt with bitterness. If, if, I don't think you're on this walk if you say you haven't dealt with bitterness. It is part of the process is dealing with bitterness. But when you don't overcome, you have some of the things that happened in our house, you know, 25 and uh, 20 years ago as people were leaving. They were bitter. They were very bitter in what they were encountering. And I can probably surmise that the father was trying to deal with them as a son. They were being chastised. They were trying to be instructed by the father. And... They instead probably said, this is the enemy coming against me. And, and these are the people who are bringing about that problem because of what they're doing, i.e. pastor or any point of leadership. They were, you know, they were at odds with what God was doing, but God was trying to instruct them. He was trying to deal with them as sons, but they failed in grace is what they did. 
And then let's see if there, let's go ahead and read then. Oh, uh, any root of bitterness springing up and tr uh, springing up trouble and thereby, oh my gosh, my, my lips are not working very well. Thereby many be defiled. We saw that in action for sure. Verse 16, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And this is interesting. So what is the other factor regarding this, this scenario of grace versus bitterness? Um, it has to do with these doorways, these opportunities. That fornica fornicator, pornos, is the gate the harlots hang out. It is a graphic that is a doorway into that. It's like fulfilling a lust, going into a doorway that you don't belong in. And you basically say, I'm going to come into this doorway, and I don't care what it costs me. Esau, Esau entered into a doorway that was unsuitable, and it cost him to give away his birthright. And that profane person is a similar definition. It's a threshold or a doorway of a wicked place, something that is unhallowed. So when it talks about uh, losing our inheritance, this is one way to lose that inheritance, is stepping into places that we do not belong. And um, that's all I'm going to say about that. Because we only have 10 minutes. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to do some quick, quick scanning here. So this first part about the apostle, verse 18, is talking about the fact that they um, did not come into the mount like Moses did with the children of Israel, where he was speaking to them, and it says with frame of words, and with Logos words. And they entreated, didn't they? They entreated Moses to say, I don't want God to speak to me in these Logos words. And they did that because they could not endure that, that which was being commanded. They weren't, this word endure is not the word for patience. It's not hupomeno. It's that word Pharaoh, that same um, derivative that we've been talking about, soon Pharaoh and prospero. <laughs> they would not bring it. They would not carry it. They were not willing to fulfill what was being commanded to them. So we know about how the children of Israel dealt with that intimate relationship with God. So as um, he's making this distinction, okay, you, have been, you haven't come into this mount that might be touched, blah, blah, blah. But verse 22, you've come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaketh, for if they escape not who refused him that spake on the earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. So I noticed 
in reading this that there were eight um, actually factors here that we have come up to. And so I did put it in a sevenfold progression. And that eighth progression is the blood of sprinkling that speaks the craton things, those things that come from the throne. And we know what the sprinkling of the blood is. And it's, so speaking about Abel, what did Abel do? He did what he had been told to do. For him, it was a kraftos moment. When we are moving in the sprinkling of the blood, we are moving in the kraftos of God. God is speaking of doing a new thing. And that is always our progression. It's always going through those seven um, aspects of his character, of who he is, and moving into the new. There's always better things those things that are issued forth from the throne. And that sprinkling of the blood is one of the things that God uses to renew our minds, to cleanse us of an evil conscience and those things from the past that keep us from going forward. I, I really loved that progression. That's what that NB stands for, new beginning. That's the eighth spirit. Did y'all know that? <laughs> well, anyway... But verse 25, when it says, see that refuse him not that speaks, that word refuse um, is um, the same as the word that was um, spoken of in the last section, the word entreated, uh, paro, I mean, para, ateomai. So it's got that word ateo in it. And we know that that's like the sha'al. It's that intimate communion that we have that the Father then gives us something. He shows us something. And, and we... You know, commit ourselves to it and declare it. It is the highest form of intercession and partnership with the Father, and we're we're not to use that to to um, refuse the one who's speaking to us. We cannot ignore what is being spoken from the kratos, that kraton, the kraton things, the better things. Um, because, I mean, I think about what happened to the children of Israel because they uh, entreated God and refused the things that he spoke um, in, in their walk on the earth. Uh, but we are hearing from heaven, and we need to be in alignment with that and really embrace and commit ourselves to it. Oh, my God, five minutes. I can do this. I'm sorry that I, I, I knew this was going to be challenge and so I whipped right through this really quickly. I hope I have not confused anybody. So let's look at the prophet or what I said could be the evangelist if those two were flipped but um, verse 26 whose voice then shook the earth but now he that um, he had promised saying yet what's more I shake not the earth only but also heaven and this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain or abide. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. This is where a few weeks ago when I led worship, I read this and it says to echo grace. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us echo grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. 
So the word acceptably, your, uh, you, you arresto. Um, so you have the, the word, the uh, you, which is that good, good purpose, and then arrestos, uh, which Pastor actually recently spoke on about pleasing God. Those two together means to be fully accepted. It speaks of being fully committed to the you, which is the perfect will of God. And we cease from our own labor, and we belong to him and do his pleasure. When we are arrested, this is an example that he gave way back in the day whenever he taught on this. He said, when we're arrested, what we've been doing has to cease, and we're in the power and agenda of the higher power. And, and it comes from the word arrestos, which means to please God. So we receive this kingdom that cannot be moved. We echo grace so that we can serve God and please him in this way with reverence or with modesty and fear. And I really love this word for fear, which is, again, the word you, the perfect will of God, with Levea. It means to take hold of something well, circumspectly, carefully, and surely, to grab onto the good thing that God has given and to not let go. Oh, my gosh, i got three minutes left. Um, so that was a mouthful. Um, but we have we have come to this place where we all sense that we're on the precipice of some new things. Um, probably territory and doing things that we've never done or seen before. So it's really an unknown um, that we're stepping into. And I feel like the Father has prepared us for this moment in time. I feel like he's given us everything that we could possibly need to be an overcomer <laughs> in the days ahead and to serve him acceptably, to be pleasing. And I really did appreciate that teaching because to be mindful of our, our personal agenda, our personal motive, when we come for intercession, when we are ministering through teaching, or even like something I do, leading worship from time to time, or giving a prophetic word, or you know, leading the people in anything, or or just coming to a point of intercession. We've been called to come and pray about our nation. You know, what is your motive when you came to pray? Did you come to please God? Did you come with that as your motive? Or are these other things, were there weights and sins? that were, you know, besetting you in that, that arena where you've been called to serve. Um, this is, these are, I know it's a lot. I know there were a lot of definitions. But that's astounding to me that all these things were found in this one chapter. Astounding. And I have, I personally, because, you know, when God leads you through something, um, and he's using something for you. I, I was personally very thankful for that word. And it's funny because sometimes when you read something over and over, it kind of becomes rote. You know, you're like skimming through it. Oh, yeah, I know what that. Oh, yeah, I know what that. Uh -huh. But it was something where every time I read it, he would highlight some other aspect of the passage, you know, like verse 10 or just verse 15. You know, it was something that he was always talking to me about. So I, 
I never lost interest. It always spoke something new, and I just found that really fascinating. And I wanted to share this with you all. Um, it is an amazing walk that we have been called to walk. And this pretty much says what it is. And, and Trish, you weren't in here when I said I was actually reading Hebrews when you taught on it last time. I was on Hebrews 11 just in my personal reading. And the next day I read this and it just, you know, it just exploded on the inside of me, <laughs> as, as Mark would say. But I was very blessed by your teaching. And then I remember Imani teaching on faith. So Hebrews has kind of been a topic of interest um, recently. But anyway, I bless you all. And let me just pray and I'll let you go. Father, I give thanks for your word. I give thanks for the way that you lead us and teach us through your word. I give thanks for my relationship with you as a son. How you instruct me and how you teach me. And, and you'll do whatever is necessary to keep me on this righteous path. I thank you for my placement. I thank you for the way that you have instructed this house and how we've all found meaning in our relationship with you and we've found uh, a purpose for our lives and we have embraced our calling I pray that you would continue to hone that appreciation that you would continue to hone and change our perspective regarding what you're asking of us that we would always continue learning and going forward according to that grace according to that thing that you are desiring from us and that we might be overcomers. Don't let us be destroyed. Don't let us become relaxed or loosen our grip from you know, the thing that you've called us to do. We give all of our love and all of our thanks and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.